The following presentation was recorded at the Buddhist Society of Victoria, Malvern East, Australia. Please visit our website at bsv.net.au. Have a look at some of the questions for this evening and see what happens. Wow, there's lots of questions, which is, uh, which is nice. We'll see how far we get with these things. Um, okay, so starting from the top, dear Ajahn, I always enjoy coming to your retreats. Okay, yay! <laughs> That's one of us very kind of you to say that. Last night, my friend asked me what is the Buddha's ultimate aim. I said cessation, extinguishment of existence, of being, uh, to be reborn again. My friend, uh, who is a non-Buddhist, uh, found it strange and asked how how it is better than meeting uh, uh, how it is better than meeting something and Jesus uh, God and Jesus okay I could not reply to this question except for saying we have different faiths and beliefs uh, all right uh, so the um, this is the strange thing about the Buddha's teaching is that it is, it is very uh, profound in many ways and things are very counterintuitive and different from what you might think it is. Uh, but one way of thinking about this is to just look at your meditation practice. Uh, and what you find in your meditation is that the more things disappear, the more things kind of go away, uh, the less there is, uh, the better you feel. Yeah, the when there's less thinking, you're better when the body is gone, it's better when the you don't have any senses in operation, it's better when the hindrances are gone, it's better when the painful feelings go, it's better. Yeah, it's basically you simplify things, simplify, simplify things. The more simple it is, uh, the better it is. Uh, and uh, so you find that that's why samadhi is very attractive and why it is so blissful. Because samadhi is incredibly simple. Yeah, all you have left is this one thing in the mind. That one thing is just bliss, basically nothing but bliss. Uh, but then you take it further. Uh, you go beyond the bliss, and it's even better again. Uh, and this is kind of the weird thing about the Dhamma, is that the more things cease and stop, the better everything is. And the, if you extrapolate that to the end, it means that when there's nothing, when everything is gone, it's the highest happiness. Now this is very hard to grasp, and really you have to kind of obviously experience these things for yourself. You have to kind of go through this process. But this is what the Buddha talks about. That's why it's called Nibbana. Nibbana means extinguishment. Uh, that's why we look into Niroda, which is cessation. Uh, all of these beautiful words on the Buddhist path. Uh. But if you meet God and Jesus, uh, there's a lot of things happening. Yeah, Hello God, how are you? Uh, you have to talk, you have to communicate, you have to say, you know, you have to have all these perceptions going on. There's too much activity here. So I'm not sure about seeing God. Okay, maybe if God is very kind of subdued and he just chills or, or she or it or whatever it is, uh, just kind of does nothing and you kind of hang out with God uh, and there's no communication. Uh, but then it's just like samadhi anyway. Uh, what's the difference then between that and samadhi? There's no difference anymore. Uh, so uh, the idea in uh, Buddhism is to make things as simple as possible. Uh, and uh, from a Buddhist point of view, the idea of gods and this kind of thing is... Uh, um, the question is, does God exist? Uh, kind of the, these things are very important questions. Uh, and uh, there is an assumption uh, in the vast majority of, of religions that there is such a thing as a God, a final God, the Brahma of the universe, or the Godhead, or whatever you call it. Uh, 
But uh, this is just an assumption. It's just often it's just a human-made thing, yeah? because um, there may be certain kinds of gods that exist, like the gods of Buddhism may actually exist because they are very similar to us. Uh, but the God, the absolute God of Christianity, uh, which is unchanging, has always been there, which is the creator of the universe. Uh, how can we ever know of such a God? Uh, you can't, can, but by definition, you cannot know such a God because such a God is outside of human experience. Uh, if something is outside of time and space, or it is eternal or whatever, it is beyond human experience. Uh, and so you can never actually go, know these kind of things. Uh, so when people say they have seen God, uh, guaranteed that they may have seen something, uh, but it's not the kind of God which Christianity talks about, being eternal or being outside of time and space, being the creator of the universe. That kind of God is by definition unknowable. That God, by definition, has to be human-made. And so it all gets very complicated. And I find it, you know, so yes, Christians have some experiences, but it doesn't really match with the theory. And that's, so there's all kinds of really serious problems there going on. So... I, you know, I am a practical person. I like to sit down and meditate and enjoy myself. I like to try to be as kind as I possibly can. I try to develop good qualities and I see what happens. And I try to do things that actually make sense and avoid those things that don't make sense. And to me, having been born in a Christian country, I cannot make any sense at all of the idea of God. To me, it makes no sense because it doesn't make any sense to me. I have to reject it. And uh, if that makes enemies uh, for me, then so be it. Uh. All right. Dear Ajahn, thank you for your profound teachings. Could you please explain the simile of the sun setting behind the mountain? You mentioned that today. All right. So it's a very simple simile. And it's just a simile... <coughs> What happens when you are a very when you are a good person who lives really well, and the idea is that when you are have a really good heart, and when you treat other people with kindness all the time, you are immersed in your own good qualities. Your good qualities are kind of always present. You cannot avoid your good qualities. You always feel good in your heart. You feel good about yourself because your good qualities are so prominent. And so the simile of the mountain is just that if, you know, if there is like a house on the mountainside uh, and then the sun goes down behind the mountain, uh, then the shadow of the mountain, it, it um, uh, encompasses the whole house. Uh, the house is kind of enveloped uh, yeah, in the shadow because when the sun goes down, the shadow takes over the whole house. Uh, in the same way, you are enveloped and encompassed uh, by the goodness of your good actions. And you have no choice but to feel good about yourself. You will feel good about yourself. Isn't that kind of nice? You don't have any choice, even if you try really hard to feel bad about yourself. No, please don't do that. But you, <laughs> you will feel good about yourself, right? Isn't that kind of beautiful? It's not, you know, it just happens automatically. We don't have to strive so hard. Oh, may I be well and happy? Oh, it doesn't work, you know. I don't know, please teach what works. And <laughs> I don't know. But it's kind of a beautiful idea that you have to feel happy. Remember, the spiritual path is supposed to be a happy path. People forget this so easily, and it's kind of a, such a tragic thing that we forget this in Buddhism, because this is exactly what the Buddha said. There's that famous um, uh, extract from the Bodhiraja Kumara Sutta, where uh, uh, Bodhi, 
the Prince Bodhi, he says to the Buddha, happiness uh, is to be achieved through pain. Happiness is to be achieved by pain, says Prince Bodhi. And the Buddha says to him, well, that's what I thought too before my awakening. In other words, when I was deluded, when I didn't know what was going on, I had that same thought. It is wrong. Happiness is not to be found through pain. Happiness is to be found through happiness. Isn't that great? If you feel happy because you are living well, if you feel happy because you're treating people well, that is the foundation for more happiness on the spiritual path, for developing your mind, for developing the meditations, for achieving samadhi and ultimately insight. It is one happiness after the other, and happiness is required to achieve more happiness on this path. So don't forget that. It means that when you meditate, good in the beginning, good in the middle, good in the end, it should be enjoyable what you're doing. Of course, it's not always going to be super-duper enjoyable. Sometimes we have to restrain a little bit. Sometimes everything, nothing in life is always enjoyable and always happy. That's just not the way life works. But as a general idea, it should be a positive and happy path. So experiencing lots of pain in meditation, please don't do that. Because it is counterproductive and eventually you give up. And eventually you become a Christian, as it says in the other one. So much easier, right? Hang out with God and Jesus. Oh, God, please look after me. And then I'll be okay. But uh, that's problematic if that God is not there. Then you have a problem. Much better to be responsible for yourself. All right. So before I say anything more which gets me into trouble, let's go on to the the next one. (laughs) Dear Ajahn, thanks for all your teachings. I'm interested in... uh, taking the eight precepts in daily life. But a bit of a silly question. I intend on moving to having a luxury bed. (laughs) 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 But my current bed uh, is still very functional and has more use left of it. Is it wasteful to discard it if uh, to then purchase Lex, oh, sorry, sorry, you, you currently, sorry, I'm, I'm mis- misreading here. Moving to have a less luxurious bed, uh, yeah, is it, is it bad to discard it to, for a less luxurious bed? Okay, you're moving to a less, okay, I, I thought you might have, have, what have really, <laughs> that's interesting, yeah. Um, is it, is it uh, wasteful? I, I mean, it's, um, it is up to you, you do whatever you want. You, <laughs> I, sometimes it's enough to have a mattress on the floor. You can sleep on the mattress on the floor. It's very simple. You can leave the bed in your room. Uh, maybe you can find a taker for that bed down the track. Uh, you know, keep things simple. Uh, whatever, really. I don't think it's, uh, there's any kind of answer to that. Uh, um, the, you know, if you... F- the most important thing about uh, sleeping is not so much what kind of bed you have... Uh, but the quality of sleep that you have. That is the most important thing here. So don't ask yourself too much about the kind of bed, but what sleeping arrangement gives the best quality sleep. You want to sleep in such a way that you feel refreshed, you feel mindful, you feel able to meditate and all of these kind of things. That is the right kind of sleep. And uh, uh, sometimes that means a simple bed. Sometimes that means, you know, just sleeping on the floor or having a mattress that is not too thick and these kind of things. Uh, but it also depends on your body type, uh, depends on how old you are, depends on how many ailments you have. All of these kind of things uh, will decide what is appropriate for you. Uh, so do what works, yeah? Don't be too rigid about these ideas. Uh, 
and uh, then I think you are on the right track. So, um, yeah, be a little bit careful about the eight precepts in daily life. Don't push that self too much. If you push these things too much, you may end up causing more suffering than happiness. Yeah, not eating in the afternoon can be very difficult in lay life. If you can do it, great. But if you can't, it's also fine. I know some people who tend to push themselves a bit too much and they suffer as a consequence. So find that nice balance in your life. Hi Ajahn, regular practicing of meditation. How is that going to affect in the cycle of rebirth? Depends what you do in that meditation. Yeah, just sitting down, closing your eyes, not going to do very much at all. But if you use it in a way so that you become peaceful, happy, inclining the mind towards good things, then it is going to be useful. So it depends what happens in the meditation, not just doing meditation, just doing it. Okay, no point. I don't not often not much point. Sometimes we um, meditation becomes another sila bhatta paramasa. Yeah, sila bhatta paramasa is kind of the grasping on to precepts and vows, uh, and you're just holding on to meditation because you think you should be doing it because you're a Buddhist. You have to do meditation, and so you do it. Uh, but don't make it just into another vow, another practice that you do. Make sure that you investigate. Uh, does it work? Does it have benefits? Uh, at the very least, you should relax. Yeah, it should be relaxing for you. Huh? So when you sit down, you at least you enjoy it because it's relaxing. Yeah? And even if it just relaxes you, even if you think throughout the entire meditation or you just kind of fall asleep during the entire meditation, it's okay if when you come out the other end you feel more at ease. Uh, because if you do feel more at ease, it means that you will be more ready to live well, to be kind, to do all the good things. That's already helpful. Ideally, you go further than that, but that's kind of the minimum minimum thing. So look at your meditation. This is why I say always investigate your meditation when you come out. Are you feeling better now when you come out than when you started? And if you are, then it is going in the right way. If not, you've got to make some adjustments. All right. Dear Adan, thank you very much for your clear teachings. Uh, this morning you mentioned uh, the hungry dog being reborn as a dog. Uh, I read that the Buddha said that it's very rare to be reborn in the human realm, like the turtle that rises to the surface to breathe every 5,000 years. Uh, I think it's every 100 years, I think. Yeah. But anyway, difficult enough regardless. And you have to put your, you know, exactly poking its head through a little raft floating on the ocean. Uh, uh, is this rare human rebirth applicable only to eat the animals, insect, but not difficult for humans to be reborn as humans? Yes, that's exactly right. Uh, if you go and read the simile, it's found in the Majjhimanikaya 129, the Balapandita Sutta, the wise and the fool. That's where the simile is found. Uh, and what it says specifically is that if you have been reborn as an animal or in the hell realm, uh, then it is really hard to come back again as a human. Uh, yeah, so that is the problem. So even if you are reborn as a ghost, you're probably all right. <laughs> I don't know if you want to be reborn as a ghost, but it's not as bad as animals in hell realm. That's really bad. And to be reborn as an animal and in a hell realm, you have to be, you have to do bad things. Yeah, ghost is bad enough, but ghost is actually quite close to the human realm. It's not that different. We interact with the ghosts sometimes. Yeah, when you see ghosts, have many of you seen ghosts? No. Are you really unfortunate? Ghosts are good fun, right? You see ghosts, you, you are 
Who? Ah, okay. Yeah, I think and I know some of the stories. Uh, that, that's really, really cool, actually. Did you enjoy that? Was it a good experience? Yeah, okay. Wow. Liv is uh, one of the wise elders of the community here. <laughs> that's marvelous. So that, that's kind of, it opens up your eyes to a different reality. Never be afraid of ghosts. Uh, usually there's nothing to be afraid of. Yeah, they are there to, they can't do anything much to you anyway. They are weaker, they're lower than you. It's like, a, you know, it's like the chance of an animal hurting you is very small. Uh, yeah, because animals are weaker than human beings. Uh, so these are kind of, good things that happen in our in our life. Uh, so yes, that is correct. You have understood that correctly. So once you are a human, uh, the chances of being reborn as a human is pretty pretty good actually, uh, especially if you live a good life. Dear Venerable Sir, what is the Buddhist perspective, if any, on the questions of the purpose of the life or the meaning of life? Uh, um, so the meaning of life is to look inside of yourself uh, and you can find the answer right there. Uh, or at least you can find the potential answer because uh, what is it that drives you as a human being? Craving and desires. Uh, what do those craving and desires, what do they want to achieve? Uh, what they want to achieve is some kind of satisfaction, uh, some kind of happiness, uh, some overcoming of dukkha. Yeah, that's what these cravings and desires want. Uh, yeah, it's kind of obvious that's what they want. Uh, and so if you can achieve a state where you actually do overcome that suffering, uh, where you do find that contentment and satisfaction, uh, then you have found the answer to the meaning of life. Uh, that is what life is driving towards. Uh, that is where you find the answer. Uh, and so the answer is that if you end up in a state of deep samadhi, uh, where you have no more desires, uh, then you have discovered the answer to the meaning of life because the desire that driving to find something is gone so you have found the answer to the meaning of life it's only a temporary answer unfortunately because you come out of that uh, samadhi and then the craving comes back again so it's only a temporary temporary answer so you have to make it complete and that's where insight comes in so again the insight on top of the samadhi and then you eliminate craving once and for all you found the answer to the meaning of life that's the meaning of life it's actually quite straightforward. Uh, it's strange that nobody doesn't kind of, the world doesn't really get that because I think they delight in craving. Uh, and as long as you delight in craving, uh, you cannot find the answer because the answer is exactly the ending of the thing that you delight in, uh, the craving itself. Uh, you're, you're blocked from achieving the meaning of life because you delight in dukkha. That's the problem. All right. Please don't delight in dukkha because that's a bad idea. If you delight in dukkha, you're going to have endlessly, endless amounts of it. Dear Ajahn, we are all here trying very hard to walk the path. Okay, that might be the problem right there. <laughs> so let's see what happens next. Before the right view became solidified through right samadhi, wrong spelling, sorry, that's correct, it's wrong spelling, it seems we are replacing one craving to the sensory world with another to the peace and happiness. That must be wrong view of mine. Please, could you help understand better, thank you. Um, yes, it is true, you are replacing one craving with another to some extent, uh, but there are some cravings that are better than other cravings. Uh, yeah, this is true. Uh, there are, for example, you can crave to do bad things, you can crave to be immoral, that's a really bad idea. Uh, or you can have a more subtle desire to be kind, that's a better idea. Uh, 
you can crave to enjoy the five sense world or you can crave to be peaceful the craving to be peaceful is more subtle usually huh? so it is actually it is a hierarchy of craving a hierarchy of desires huh? you have to understand that hierarchy and you have to desire those things that are worthy of desire there's a hierarchy of attachments there's a hierarchy of conceit <laughs> have the right kind of conceit the conceit of uh, at least being a good, per- good person someone who is kind of living well huh? And as you use that hierarchy in the right way, you overcome these qualities by using the hierarchy correctly. As actually, this is talked about in the suttas directly. The people are confronted with it, saying, well, you know, you are saying you should overcome uh, desire, and still, you know, part of the path is desire, chanda samadhi, yeah, the desire, the samadhi coming out of chanda, desire. How can that be possible? How can you overcome desire with desire? Well, that's actually what you do. Huh? You use desire initially to make the mind peaceful, to so gain insight to ultimately overcome desire. Yeah. So uh, it, it's okay yeah, to desire peace and happiness if you really enjoy what it, if you really understand what it is. Uh, and uh, if you really understand what it is, you learn to uh, be peaceful, to let go in the meditation. Letting go means the simile of the armchair I mentioned the very first day. Yeah. You're just really relaxing here. Yeah. And if you're just relaxing, yeah, craving is not very strong here. Yeah. If you're sitting in an armchair after a long day's work, just relaxing, uh, how much craving is there in that? You're not really doing anything. Uh, you're just sitting back, chilling, uh, enjoying life. Uh, and that is really kind of the idea. That's how you overcome the initial craving for peace and uh, these things. Uh. So no, you're on the right track. Uh. Um, just make sure you make the spiritual path a happy one. Uh. That's really the most important thing here. Yeah. All right, dear Venerable Sir, what website websites would you recommend for reading the suttas? Uh, I would recommend Sutta Central, Sutta Central, Sutta Central, Sutta Central, dot net, dot net. Yeah, that's the that's the one. So uh, Sutta S U T T A Central S E N T R A L dot net, uh, and it has translations by the uh, Bhante Sujato. Uh, who is a prolific translator. There's no one in the whole world who has translated more suttas than Bhante Sujato that I am aware of, maybe in, certainly not in English, maybe in other languages, uh, but he is number one translator now in English language, certainly in terms of quantity. In terms of quality, uh, <laughs> actually quality is actually very good as well, I have to say. It's good quality. I just like to be naughty, that's all. So he... Um, Quality also good, but uh, we already have some people with very good quality translations, like Venerable Bhikkhu Bodhi, yeah? he's also a very good translator. Yeah? So but the th- thing, nice thing about Bhantasudrata, the translation is a bit more, the language is a bit more accessible. Yeah? And a lot of people who read suttas in English, they read it as, with English as a second language, right? And it does, if you have too many highfalutin words, uh, then of course it makes it difficult. Uh, so the simple translation of Bhante Sudrato is actually, I would recommend them. They're very nice. Uh, and of course, I would really recommend my translations as well. Uh, <laughs> if you ever want to read the uh, Vinaya Pitika, the um, rules for the monastics, that's what I have translated. It's also available on Sudha Central. Uh, I wouldn't recommend it. It's really boring. But if you really want to read it, uh, it's there and you can access that. Uh, and uh, so that's all available. So read that. You can go a long way on Sudha Central. Uh, then you should be Good. Uh, and it's all for free, of course, uh, which is exactly how it should be. Oh, so, yeah, so much language. Only 36? Uh, is that, was that all? Uh, is it 30 something? Okay, okay. It depends on which suttas it is. Uh.
some sutras are translated into really a lot of languages. Some are only have a few languages. Uh, so some of the sutras are more kind of uh, popular than others. Uh, yeah. Vietnamese, uh, Vietnamese, Sinhala, Thai. I think that maybe yeah, I think there are some Thai translations there as well. Um, Chinese language, chi- Chinese. Uh, I think I can't remember Japanese probably, and of course lots of all the European languages and and just. Uh, I think there are some some African languages probably still missing, but otherwise uh, it's all there. Uh, anyway, it's hard to find African translators. There's not so many, so much, so much Dhamma yet in Africa. Although there is one very well-known monk, Venerable Buddha Rakita. He's a really nice monk, and he's doing a, a lot of really good work. Actually, he was recently awarded a PhD in Thailand for his excellent work, uh, and he is. Um, so he's a, yeah, I know him a little bit. Uh. He's in Sydney. Yeah. Now? Yeah. Oh, really? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay, cool. So, uh, mm. Dear Venerable Sir, is Niroda Samapati an indication of what Buddhism is like? Is Parinibbana a more subtle state than Niroda Samapati? Niroda Samapati is the same thing as Sanya Vedaita Niroda. It's just different terminology. One is commentarial, one is a sutta terminology. And... Um, it's basically the same thing as Parinibbana, it's the ending of all things. Uh, yeah? Everything comes to an end, that's the highest happiness. Uh, and uh, it's really, yeah, it's kind of the same state as uh, if you could want to talk about Parinibbana, yeah, the end of the path when everything kind of fades out. Uh, it's the same kind of idea, the ending of all things. Uh, the workman finally getting his wages uh, after becoming an arahant. Uh, so, yeah, this is the Anupadisesa Nibbana which is mentioned in the uh, Itivuttaka. The, uh, yeah. Okay, good. Venerable Sir, when there is a fire, automatic reaction is to walk away. Uh, this is what the arahants or normal person would do, yet this is categorizing as aversion. We made a kusala kama. Could you please explain? Thank you. If we walk into the fire, greed. If we maintain equanimity, moha. We are trapped. There is no way out of samsara. <laughs> Maybe there is a way. You just have to think about it in the correct way. So, yes, the, if there is a fire, the automatic reaction is to walk away. And that is okay. Yeah, Aversion is fine. Aversion is not a problem. Ill will is a problem. Aversion is not the same thing as ill will. Aversion means that you have a negative reaction to something. It's like when you go to a cesspit. You don't like it. It doesn't mean you have ill will towards a cesspit. You just go in a different direction. It's aversion. Aversion is fine. Aversion is not the issue. We need to use the vocabulary very carefully. Yeah, Aversion is like, oh, it's too much dukkha. I don't want to turn away from that. No problem at all. That's not, that's not a defilement. That is wisdom. That is a turning away from those things of the world that are not worthy of our attention. So if you have aversion against a fire, no problem. You should have aversion towards a fire. So it's not bad. It is not a defilement. It is not a kusala kama at all. It is just wisdom to walk away from the fire. So you don't need to worry about that. So, um, yeah, so that's the way out of samsara right there. Yeah. So hopefully that makes sense. And if that doesn't make sense, please come back again tomorrow. Dear Ajahn, does moment-to-moment awareness uh, 
refer to Sati Sampajanya, I looking at the purpose, suitability, domain and reality of all our deeds and thoughts. So mindfully eating, i.e. eating, doing any activity slowly will allow us to do that. So that may be helpful. Also, Yata Buddhananadasana, seeing things as they are, and Yonisomanasikara, wise attention reflection, should form part of Satisampajanya, and this will help us in establishing mindfulness, which can then be applied to attain Samma Sati. Please elaborate. Also, where does the choiceless awareness, uh, and so much talked about by Venerable Adan Sumedho and uh, Krishnamurti, okay, he's not a Buddhist, so forget about him, uh, fit into all of this? All right, um, so <laughs> Sati Sampajanya, right? A very important uh, aspect of the path. Uh, it is always part of the gradual training. Uh, it does not, it is not the same as moment to moment awareness. Uh, and this is actually a very interesting subject. Uh, and one of the reasons why it is interesting, because I, I believe that um, Sati Sampajanya. The way when you read the suttas, it's very strange, uh, because when you read the gradual training, uh, yeah, first of all you have the morality, uh, then you have the sense restraint, uh, then you have the satisampajanya, uh, then you have usually the giving up the five hindrances, and that's the same as satipatthana, the same as the uh, watching the breath, yeah, these kind of things. Uh, then you have the jhanas. Uh. But the weird thing is that satisampajanya comes before the meditation. Uh, but then, when you go to the Satipatthana Sutta, the Satipatthana Sutta contains Satisampajanya in the Satipatthana Sutta. So it is both before Satipatthana and also within Satipatthana. How can the same formula occur twice in the training? What is going on here? How is that possible? Once you start to understand the structure of the path, you, something looks really weird. And this is where the very interesting work by my good friend Bhante Sujato comes in. He has written a very interesting book called The History of Mindfulness. I wouldn't recommend it, because <laughs> it's just too much, too hard to read. But unless you are really, really into the suttas, most monks I know don't read that kind of, it's just even too much for them. But if you're really into the suttas, so it's called The History of Mindfulness. And what he does there, he looks in detail at the history of the Satipatthana Sutta. And one of the strange things about the Satipatthana Sutta is that it exists in a number of different versions and they are all different. What is the original Satipatthana Sutta? Has it been expanded on in history? And it seems very clear that it has been expanded. Otherwise, it wouldn't have all these different versions. Some exist in Chinese translations, some exist in the Abhidhamma, some exist in the various places. And so he analyzes the Satipatthana Sutta huh? and he, deci he decides on that basis. And I think it is a very solid conclusion. There's lots of scholarship in the Buddhist world that is dodgy. Huh? And I wouldn't recommend uh, reading too much of that kind of stuff. But there are sometimes people are on the right track. And he is uh, one of those people who I think has got this right. That the original Satipatthana only had the 31 parts of the body under body contemplation. Huh? The contemplation of feeling is pretty much what we have now. That seems to have been preserved pretty much in the right way. Contemplation of the mind also preserved pretty much in the right way. Contemplation of Dhamma, on the other hand, originally probably was only contemplation of five hindrances and contemplation of the seven factors of awakening. And so that makes Satipatthana a very different kind of thing. 
And it means that Satipatthana does not belong in Satipatthana at all. It belongs before Satipatthana. And that changes how we practice it. The reason why people think it is moment to moment is because it is inside meditation practice. If it is part of meditation practice, of course it has to be moment to moment because meditation is moment to moment. But if it belongs earlier on the path, it is likely to have a different meaning. And uh, so the usual translation of the Satisampajanya formula is something to the effect that uh, you have clear comprehension in uh, when walking forward and walking back. Yeah? You have clear comprehension in stretching out your limbs and pulling them back in. Uh, you have clear comprehension in eating. That's where this comes from that you're talking about. In eating, Satisampajanya, while you're eating. Yeah? You have clear comprehension when eating. Yeah? But then it says you have clear comprehension when Sleeping, sutte in Pali. How can you have clear comprehension when you're sleeping? You, by definition, don't have clear comprehension when you're sleeping. You're out of it. Yeah, even the Buddha would sleep. And that shows you that there's something fundamentally wrong about this. Actually, the translation is wrong. This is the right translation. I'm going to give you the right translation. Do you trust me? If you don't trust me, it's fine. I don't expect you to trust me, right? Because uh, you don't know me. How can you possibly trust me? But at least listen to what I have to say. Because this is kind of interesting. And I recently discussed this with Bhante Sujata. said, you have translated it wrong, I told him. And he said, you're right. And then he changed his translation because of my important input. (laughs) 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 It's true. It's actually true. But anyway, so what I... the, The problem here is that certain... Phrases in Pali can be translated in different ways. Yeah, not everything is fixed. It depends on um, depends on the grammar of that sentence. You have to understand the grammar in the right way. Get the grammar wrong, you have a problem. Uh, so the trans the proper translation is not you have f- clear comprehension when you walk out, when you walk back. Yeah. It is having clear comprehension about walking out and about walking back. It is clear comprehension about sleeping, not when sleeping. Yeah. And the difference is that if you have clear comprehension about sleeping, it means that you know the right amount to sleep. It means you know how to sleep, where to sleep, when to sleep. You know about sleeping. It doesn't mean that when you're doing it, you can forget about it as long as you do it in the right way. And that changes the whole idea about this. This is not about moment-to-moment awareness at all. It's about knowing how to do these things in the right way. So when you eat, it is not about being mindful of eating. This is a modern myth. There's nothing really about being mindful of eating in the suttas. What it is about is knowing what to eat, how to eat, the right time to eat, all of these kind of things. So you eat the appropriate amount. You eat what is helpful for the practice. It is similar to being mindful of eating. Yeah, mindful. Of course, if you're mindful of eating, then it's easier to monitor if you've eaten the right amount. So it's not wrong to be mindful of what you're eating, but that is not the purpose of this. The purpose is to know the right kind of food, the right amount, all of these kind of things, so that when you come out after eating, you feel light, you're ready to do meditation, and you don't eat too little, so you get hungry in the afternoon. It changes the way we think about the path when you look at things in this way. I know it must be terribly difficult to be a lay Buddhist uh, because you get all these monks and they all say contradictory things. Uh. One monk says, be mindful when you're eating. Uh. The other one says, just be aware of eating the right amount. Uh. Who, who are you going to trust? Uh? <laughs> I know it can be really confusing here. Yeah. So uh, don't worry too much uh, because if you worry too much, it's going to be bad for the practice. Uh.
So um, this is what Satisampajanya is about, yeah? knowing the suitability. This is why the idea of suitability, as you say here, and um, purpose, yeah? this is what it is about. What is the purpose of eating? What is the purpose of sleeping? What is the purpose of going out? Uh, how is it suitable to do these things in the right way? Uh, that is not the same as moment-to-moment awareness. That is more like a bird's eye view of the activity that you're doing here. Uh. It's different. different. Uh, then you have the domain and reality. Well, domain is this idea that you are continuously aware of your meditation object. So here it is important to understand that sampajanya works in different ways. The initial sampajanya is the sampajanya in the gradual training, which I just have described now. But then there is also sampajanya as part of meditation. So if you go to the Satipatthana Sutta, it says... Uh, Satima atapi sampajano vinaya loke This is the standard phrasing in the Satipatthana Sutta. So sampajanya is also kept when you are meditating. That's a deeper kind of sampajanya. And that is where this idea of domain applies. The domain is that the domain here means like the gochara. Gochara means the grazing, literally. Go is cow, chara is hangout, is the hangout of the cow. Where, does the, where do the cows hang out? In the pastures, uh, grazing, uh, feeding. That's where the cows hang out. So what is our pasture? Uh, where do we all feed? Uh, we feed by watching the breath. That is the pasture of a meditator. Uh, and of course, at that point, we are indeed moment to moment aware of the breath. So at this point, uh, it is correct to say that there is a continua- continuous awareness of the meditation object. Uh, so there's different degrees of sampajanya. The final kind of sampajanya is the idea of reality, of non-self, of amoha, asamoha, not being deluded. That is the idea of non-self, of understanding what is going on in a deeper way. So these are degrees of sampajanya that you see. This is the commentarial explanation that you have here of sampajanya that this person is referring to. don't know who you are, but probably in here somewhere. (laughs) Yeah, so this is the commentarial, and actually it is a very nice explanation but it comes in various stages and degrees depending on where you are on the path i hope i haven't confused you completely and utterly by this answer i hope you it's helping yeah um seeing things according to reality yes yono samanasikara wise reflection should form part of satisampajanya absolutely yeah. especially yono samanasikara that is the most, Yonisamanasikara is one of those fundamental things on the path uh, that uh, you always need to go in the right direction. Uh, Yatabhutananadasana is more profound. Uh, Yatabhutananadasana is what happens after samadhi. Uh, so that is a very profound s- stage of uh, Satisampajanya and very profound state of Yonisamanasikara. Uh, it's really what happens um, after samadhi when you are ready to see things really in a deep way. Uh, yeah. Choiceless awareness. Uh, um, yeah. <laughs> I, the thing is that all awareness is uh, chosen to some extent. Yeah? Is it possible to have real choiceless awareness? Uh, um, maybe, but you know, in the suttas it is really about directing your mind usually. Uh, it's about being aware of the breath. Uh, it is a breath that takes you to samadhi. Uh, 
I would say initially in your meditation, choiceless awareness is something you can kind of aspire towards. Yeah? Initially you're just relaxing, yeah? you're not really placing your mind on anything. Yeah? It's kind of just allowing the mind to float. And that is a kind of choiceless awareness. Yeah? And you can make that deeper and deeper. But really at some point you're going to need to have an object to take you into real deep samadhi. Yeah? So uh, Buddhism is really about um, applying the mind. I mean there may be deep you know, choiceless awareness is also, there are certain things in the suttas that look a little bit like choiceless awareness. Uh, you know, like after samadhi, for example, again, you can just allow the mind to um, be. You don't really need to direct it very much. And that maybe is the kind of choiceless awareness that is mentioned here. But in, still, it's not entirely choiceless because always the will or the intention is there directing the mind behind the scenes, at least to some extent. Uh, but it does feel a little bit like choiceless awareness. Uh, all right. Venerable Ajahn, during walking meditation I try to keep awareness on the sensation of my feet. Uh, but very often my awareness on feet breaks with different thoughts. Uh, they are mostly uh, neutral thoughts. Uh, it is, is it the same with sitting meditation? I'm still uh, waiting to experience the deep meditation samadhi. Can you please advise how we can improve my meditation practice? Uh, I just mentioned to someone today that I would not necessarily recommend uh, uh, watching the sensation in your feet uh, when you do walking meditation. Uh, and the reason I would not recommend it is because it is just more samatha practice. And there is a limit to how much samatha practice you can do. Uh, Meditation has a kind of, usually kind of a natural rhythm to it. You sit down, it becomes peaceful, and then you kind of come out again. And after coming out, sometimes you need to do something else, something that's a bit more relaxing. Something, maybe you have become a bit tense in meditation, or maybe not, but the mind is often not ready, or doesn't, it's not really the right time to do more samatha all the time, again and again. So do something else when you walk. Do some contemplation. Reflect on the idea of death. Do some metta during your walking meditation. Don't do anything. Just walk back and forth and enjoy the beautiful sunshine. It was such a beautiful day today. So warm. It felt like hot summer's day. I thought Melbourne was always cold. I was obviously wrong. Occasionally Melbourne too is nice and warm. Today was the proof of the pudding. And uh, so you don't always have to do, follow these things. Ask yourself what works. How do you feel about this? Uh, what is actually, if watching the feeling in your feet works for you and it's fine, please carry on. Uh, but there's, there is really no kind of uh, recipe here. In the suttas, uh, uh, it often just says the monks are walking up and down. It doesn't give, give any indication at all what they were doing. Uh, and they were probably just contemplating things and uh, reflecting uh, on developing perceptions and views and all these kind of things. Uh, that would have been a very important part of it. Uh, so uh, don't um, you know, be um, flexible about this. Uh, and this is what I usually do. I, I don't really watch my feet very much when I walk. Uh, I've, uh, I, I just do other things instead. I just enjoy walking, enjoy the peace. Uh, I may reflect on a sutta. I may do some metta, medit, metta as I go along. I may uh, reflect on death. All of these things I do, but I don't really wash my feet when I do walking meditation. Uh, I also walk at a natural pace. I don't walk slowly. Uh, whatever feels right, that's how I walk. Uh, that's what Ajahn Brahm does as well. I learned all of these things from Ajahn Brahm, of course. Uh, there's nothing new under the sun. Uh, same old, same old, again and again. Uh, so, uh, yeah. 
And if your meditation while you're sitting breaks up because of thoughts, uh, again, don't worry too much about that. Just allow the thoughts to kind of finish by themselves, uh, and then your meditation kind of comes back again. Dear Ajahn, our minds are full of defilements. We keep on getting angry and hurt on encountering the vicissitudes of life. Sometimes we react despite our best efforts not to do so. Every day in this lay life, something or other happens that causes kilesas to arise. In this situation, one can't really meditate. How to practice in daily life when the mind is so defiled? Even minor irritation doesn't allow the mind to concentrate on the breath. Please advise many thanks. Yes, this is true. So uh, you have to uh, renew your efforts to overcome the anger and ill will. And the best effort is often not the kind of effort that you think it is. Remember the Buddha's ideas today about using wisdom power to overcome ill will, not willpower. Uh, best effort sometimes is probably too much willpower. Uh, so ask yourself, first of all, the simple question. Uh, what are the people in your life uh, that you feel the most anger and ill will towards? Uh, there will be certain people that stir you up more than others. Uh, then work on those people. Uh, yeah, r- look at them in a new way. Uh, understand them in a different way. All the things we're talking about today. Uh, remember that they are trapped in their personality here. Uh, in their habits. They don't know what they're doing. They're blind. They are uh, kind of in the darkness. Uh, yeah, They are stubbing their toes, hurting themselves, making bad karma while thinking they're living a good life. They don't even know what they're doing. Uh. So look at people in a new way. Uh. Start to have compassion for people. Bad people who irritate you. Uh, they're probably deserving of compassion. Everyone is deserving of compassion in this way. Uh. So this is really the trick for overcoming anger. Don't try so hard. Think differently. That is really the issue. That is the problem. And it is not that hard to have compassion for almost everyone. One of the things to avoid is to get too tired in daily life. Make sure you get enough sleep. Don't use your mobile phone too much. Lock it up at night so you can't get access to it. These things we were talking about yesterday. Because if you don't get enough sleep, that seems to be a worse pandemic than covid don't worry about COVID. COVID is nothing compared to lack of sleep. Lack of sleep is the real problem uh, in the world. Uh, <laughs> so get, make sure you have sleep because then when your mind is uh, rested, you are more alert, you're more able to deal with things. Uh, you don't get irritated so easily. Uh, so it's all about getting all of these balances right uh, and then you can deal with things much better. Uh. So that is what you should really work on. And uh, this is really just about sila. Yeah? It's about good conduct of the mind, that you don't get angry and irritated by the people around you. You have metta, compassion, uh, yeah? all these good qualities within. Uh, mudita, you rejoice in other people's good qualities. Uh, and uh, then you are going to be on the right track. And then you can sit down and you can meditate. Uh, and you won't have these things that stop you. You will still feel tired. Uh, you may still nod, nod a little bit in a meditation, but at least you won't have these uh, big-time defilements uh, causing problems for you. Huh? All right. The Buddhist path is quite demanding. You really, really, you know, it's, there's a lot of things that need to be sorted out. Huh? Dear Ajahn, many thanks for your teachings. How much do past kamas contribute to the present situation? A lot. A lot, a lot, a lot. Remember, kamma is the connection between actions, intentional actions, and how you feel about yourself. Yeah, that's what kamma really is. A connection between 
past actions and how you feel. So how you feel right now, the general state of your mind, is generally uh, comes through past karma. But uh, uh, it is also the case that uh, what you do in the present also affects how you feel, right? So if you have past karma but you reflect in the right way, you guide your mind in the right direction, you can still... Um, do something that actually changes your perspective and changes your mental state and your feelings uh, because you have that power in you right here in the present. Uh, and then as you do that, you are actually making kamma now and that will then affect how you feel tomorrow or the day after. Uh, so you're building up good kamma, building up good things right here in the present life uh, that changes your uh, how you feel and how you live your life. Uh, I'm suffering from chronic pain and debility here. Uh, does accepting what it is that calmly leads to atoning my negative karmas? I was told in one of the Vipassana workshops that by calming, observing pain, you are getting rid of negative bad karmas. Sounds like Goenka technique. Otherwise, you have to face them in future lives. So better to face them to get rid of as many as possible. That is not Buddhist teaching, unfortunately. So... Uh, don't worry about too much about that. This is kind of Jain teachings. Uh, the idea that you have to live out your kamas and, and get over them uh, so that uh, you don't have to live them in the future. It's not Buddhism. And this is, this is, is Gwenka teaching. I know exactly where it comes from. Uh, and this is one of the places where Gwenka goes completely wrong. Uh, and it teaches the wrong teaching. Nothing to do with Buddhism. So... Um, Many good things to be said about Gwenka. He's done a lot of good for meditation and for the world, but also some things that where he's got it unfortunately wrong. This is one of those areas. So uh, the right way of thinking about this is the simile of the lump of salt that you find in the suttas. And the simile of the lump of salt is that the lump of salt that you have, that is the bad kamma. And uh, that bad kamma will taste very salty if it is put in a small glass of water. The glass of water, that is the amount of good kamma you have. Take the same amount of salt, the same amount of bad kamma, and you put it in a large body of water. I think it says the river Ganges in the suttas. You cannot taste it at all. There's a very, very faint taste maybe. So your job is to make as much good kamma as possible, and you dilute the bad kamma until it disappears completely. That is the idea. Or even if there's a tiny bit left, then maybe you will have to experience a tiny bit in a future life, but it's pretty much all gone. It is not about experiencing pain. I can't say that enough. And this is one of the reasons that you are told when you go on a Gwenka retreat to sit with the pain, observe the pain. The Buddha never says that anywhere in the suttas. The Buddha says, observe the bliss with the breath. That's what the Buddha says. So you can choose between observing the pain in the body and the bliss with the breath. It's your choice. I recommend the bliss with the breath. <laughs> so there is a little bit of a misinformation out there. And of course, you don't know whether I am misinforming or the other one is misinforming. That's your problem. So figure it out. <laughs> So anyway, so that is uh, my answer to that one here. Dear Ajahn, you mentioned today that the uh, that the uh, is impersonal. Something is impersonal. It begins with an A. Okay, but we see that one person is just angry with you, not with their friends. So it is personal. <laughs> Anger is impersonal. 
we can say it is impersonal when the person is generally ill-tempered and angry towards everyone. So if your boss just mistreats you for no reason whatsoever, how to forgive and get over the heartburn things? It is still impersonal. It's just that you know, if someone who was very similar to you was in that job, they would also have to experience that. There's something in you that triggers that person. It is some personal quality in you. But it's not you, it's just a quality in you which triggers the other person. If someone else had the same kind of quality in them, they would also be triggered yeah, by, in the same way. So maybe, I, I, know what, I don't know what it is in you that triggers that person, but there's something there that triggers them. And so they get angry. But it's not about you, it's about that quality and it's their reaction to that quality. So it's still the same thing, it's still impersonal. It still doesn't have anything to do with you, really. And uh, in the end, uh, even if it, even if it was, even if it, even if you have some special quality that no one else in the whole world has, uh, yeah, don't know what it is, but uh, you have two heads or something like that, uh, then uh, uh, still it would be the other person because they are triggered by someone having two heads, uh, yeah, and so they, uh, you know, that is their inner problem. Uh, could really got nothing to do with you, uh, whether they have that problem. Uh, so it is still not really personal. It is just their inner conditioning coming out. Uh, but actually it's not really about you at all. Uh. So this is the right way to think about this. Uh. And then uh, um, you can let go and forgive much more easily. Uh. Dear Ajahn, during longer sits uh, the breath disappears. Uh. What should one observe during these periods? Uh, can still feel the chest rising with inspiration, uh, inspiration and deflation with the expiration. Uh. Uh, should we shift the focus? Thanks. Yes, you can do that. So if you can still feel the rising of the chest, then you can put your uh, focus there because then you are still kind of observing the breath. Uh, so it doesn't matter where you observe the breath. Uh, it's as long as there is uh, something which reminds you of the movement of the breath. That is what matters. Uh, if things disappear completely, you can just enjoy the peace until things start to appear again because sooner or later something will happen. Uh, uh, and if nothing happens, you can just enjoy the peace and go deeper and deeper into the peace. Uh, yeah, that's also a, a wonderful thing to do if that's possible. Uh, dear Arjan, thank you for your time. Really appreciate it. You mentioned uh, that cessation of perception and feeling are the highest form of happiness. Uh, isn't happiness a form of feeling? Uh, is feeling is seized? How is this possible? Uh, thank you once again. Well, that's the point. The, the um, Venerable Sariputta says that uh, uh, happiness, is any kind of happiness, whether it's felt or not. Uh, so imagine that feeling as a phenomenon is suffering. Uh, yeah, That's really what they're saying. As long as you feel, you have some suffering. Because feeling itself actually is unpleasant. Uh, it is better not to have any kind of feeling. Uh, then that is a kind of happiness. It is not the ordinary kind of happiness we think about, but it's happiness in a higher sense. Uh, it's called the happiness that comes from the ending of feelings. If something is preferable, then it's a greater kind of happiness. Sometimes you are just really content. You don't have any happiness, any joy. You're just really content. But if you look at that contentment, it is a kind of happiness, but a different kind of happiness, right? So this is how you have to think about this. All right. This is going quite fast. That's good. Uh, yeah. Venerable Sir, when we do metta meditation, we say, may you be well. Here you is a self. 
Are we developing Mitcha Ditti? Wrong view. Please explain that. What you are, you is here a representation for the five khandas. Five khandas, yeah, may these five khandas be well. That's what you're saying, yeah. But if you say that, it's too impersonal. It's not very nice, yeah, okay. May those five khandas be well. So you, that's, that's why it's better to say you, because it makes it more personal. Yeah? It's, you can feel something for other beings. Uh, and uh, you're not really developing Michaditi, because the Michaditi is already there. Uh, you are, in a way, you are reducing Michaditi, because if you have metta, you have less delusion. Uh, so don't worry too much if there's a little bit of self-view there. That self-view is not really the issue. Uh, you're going to have that anyway until you become a stream entry, right? Uh, and so instead of worrying about that, uh, uh, which is down the track, uh, just do the metta meditation. That reduces your michaditi because uh, anger and all of these kind of things, that distorts the mind even more, whereas metta makes the mind more pure and therefore has less distortion. You're moving towards samaditi when you have metta. So please carry on saying, may you be happy and well. It's not going to lead to any bad consequences. Dear Ajahn, sometimes breath seems to be coming from the nostrils and the next moment it jumps to the next, uh, one nostril to the next nostril. Sometimes hard to tell as it seems to be coming through both the nostrils. Uh, so it is hard to concentrate on one point. How to remain concentrated when this happens? Don't concentrate on one point. Uh, just be aware of the breath without having any reference to the body. Uh, just know whether the breath is coming in or the breath is coming out without reference to the body. Uh, no, it's not body contemplation, it's breath contemplation. Uh, this is what Ajahn Brahm used to say. So if you close your eyes, uh, it is quite possible to know the breath, uh, at least initially, without fixing it to any particular part of the body. Uh, yeah? So just be aware, going in, going out. No reference to the body at all. Uh, just the kind of general idea of the breath. Uh, then you overcome that problem straight away. Okay, your teaching is very much appreciated, Ajahn. This morning you spoke about the danger of the five sense realm. Could you please elaborate about the sixth sense, the mind or thoughts? Is it where the ill will or good will is? I can see my mind has the ten tendency to fall into uh, thinking and find pleasure and attracted to thoughts. How to avoid that and have more clarity to classify thoughts? Thank you, Ajahn. So... The sixth sense is a mixture. And the sixth sense can either take the other senses, yeah, you think about the other senses, and then the mind is really enveloped a part of the six, five sense realm, or the mind can go beyond the five senses when you don't think about these things. This is what we mean by samadhi and all the spiritual things on the path. Yeah? So we need to classify the sixth sense divided into whether it's good or bad. And uh, as long as it is... Uh, caught up in the five hindrances and the five sense realm with ill will and all of these kind of things, uh, then it is a bad mindset. If it is, as you say here, caught up with goodwill, with metta, then it is a good mental state. Uh, so you uh, look at the mind in this way, uh, at the thinking, what kind of thinking is going on, the attraction to thought, right? Uh, and you understand that a lot of that is tied up with the five sense world. Uh, 
Yeah, so the mind is also enmeshed in that five sense world. Uh, and then you're understanding the downsides. Actually, when you understand the downsides of the five sense world, uh, you tend to overcome that thinking uh, and your mind becomes purified as a consequence. Uh, all right, so uh, yeah, so there you are. It's a short answer, but I'm getting a little bit tired now, so I thought I would keep it short. I hope you don't mind. The last one for today, I'm very pleased that I've been able to go through all the questions. Uh, dear Ajahn, as you mentioned today, we need happiness. Uh, happiness of Samadhi seems to be a long way off. Uh, materialistic things don't give any pleasure because we have realized they are short-lived uh, and followed by misery. So how to be joyful in their life? Uh, you haven't realized that. You see, that's a problem. Uh, you think you have rea realized that, but actually you haven't. Uh, materialistic things don't give any pleasure because we have realized they are short-lived and followed by misery. Uh, you haven't realized that. Uh, now this is kind of the point, right? Uh, you think we are moving in that direction. Uh, we're trying to understand these things. Uh, when uh, we look at the suttas, what we are looking at is a kind of contemplation to help us move in that direction. Uh, but you haven't gotten there yet. Uh, yeah, you are moving there, you're heading in that direction. But actually getting there is quite difficult. Uh, so you still have those sense pleasures. Uh, yeah, enjoy them. It's okay. Don't be, don't become a kind of grey and drab and uh, terrible Buddhist who, for, for whom the entirety of life is terrible. Uh, enjoy the sense pleasures of the world. Enjoy your food. Uh, enjoy your entertainment. Uh, enjoy these little things in life, but make them fall within the scope of morality and kindness. Uh, yeah, and then gradually move your mind towards more the happinesses of meditation. Uh, Make sure you have the happinesses of generosity, that you have the happiness of kindness. There's a lot of happiness to be had on this Buddhist path. And these are also spiritual happiness that gradually move you towards meditation practice. These are really the fundamental happiness on the path, the happiness of generosity and of kindness in the world. When you are really kind towards somebody, you feel good about yourself. Something happens in your heart when you are really kind. It is... Um, you know, the, the heart comes alive in a way and you feel joy and you feel happiness because you know that you're living well. These are the spiritual happinesses uh, that you start out with, not the happiness of meditation. Uh. So gradually, okay, still enjoy the worldly happinesses, yeah, your food or whatever it is in the world that you enjoy. Uh. Gradually move on towards the spiritual happiness of kindness and generosity and these kind of things and compassion. Uh. Then move on to the happinesses of meditation. Finally, go to the happiness of insight. This is the movement. And if you haven't got the, the higher one, stay with the lower one. Gradually move to the higher one, stage by stage. Always make sure that you have enough happiness in your life. Okay, everyone. So that is all for today. And so I wish you all a very... Oh, that's good. Okay, I know what you're going to say. <laughs> yeah. Is there anyone who is leaving the retreat today? Would you like to take the five precepts? Or is that a good idea or not a good idea? Huh? Yeah? All right. So if those who want to do that, you can please come up and we can give you the five precepts. And for everyone else, have a marvelous night. Have a good night's rest. And we'll see you again tomorrow morning. Yeah.